Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. I have to tell you a little history about like worshiping outdoors at Letty. When the pandemic happened, this we weren't allowed to meet in here for 18 months, and so we had to find new ways to, to get together for church. And we, we started meeting outdoors at Letty Park, and I think we did like four and a half months. Out, and, and I was really nervous as a pastor, like, how is this going to go? I mean, we're outside at a beach and, and worshiping, what if it rains? And, and, and we worshiped, and, and we, we, we loved it so much that we're like, hey, you know what? We should just do this every summer. And so we're going to have six weeks at Letty again this summer. It's awesome to worship out, outside at the beach. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I hope you'll join us for that. Let me, let me start this morning by asking you guys a question. Have you ever wondered why Jesus primarily taught through stories and parables? See, the Gospels record over 50 different stories, parables, and parabolic images in Jesus' teaching. And the reason that that Jesus taught so often in in stories and parables is because Jesus knew this about us, that, that we make sense of life through story and through narrative. That, that you and I are story beings, right? That we, we use stories to interpret life and to make sense of the world. And we tell ourselves stories all the time, right? You and I, we have experiences and, and things that we, we live through. And what we do is we turn those into stories. And those stories, if we tell them to ourselves long enough, become narratives, And they affect our behaviors, our attitudes, the way we think about things, the way we approach things. And that's why you and I were largely shaped and formed as human beings by the stories we tell ourselves. And some of those stories that we tell ourselves are true. Others are not true. Others are false, right? And so it's our job to determine, to discern which of the stories we're telling ourselves are true and which ones aren't. And then we have to make the, the replace the false ones, the false narratives, with ones that are more true. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, several years ago, I was flying on an airplane from Nashville to Burlington, and it was really hot that day, and the only clean piece of clothing I had was a sweater. And so I put my sweater on, no T-shirt underneath, because everything was dirty. So I had my sweater, and we were in the way back of the plane. You know, like the way back? where it's loud and noisy and hot, and it was a packed flight. And, and a, with about an hour before we landed in Burlington, the air stopped working. You know the little air, the thing you turn. I'm in a sweater. It's packed. And it is so hot on the plane. Everyone's going like this, like, oh, my gosh. We're talking into the stewardess. Yeah, the air's not working. We don't worry. We're going to land in, in, in an hour. And I'm this far away from having a panic attack because when I was a little kid, my uncle used to think it was funny to take like quilts and blankets and throw them over me and wrap me up. And I couldn't breathe, right? And so I'm triggered. I'm I'm like, I'm back there. I'm like that little kid with the quilt over his head and I can't breathe. And I'm just like, I'm everything within me is just trying to to hold on. And we landed and we got off the plane. I'm still here. But, But what kind of story do you think I tell myself whenever I go to book a flight. So I, I've flown maybe, I don't know, a dozen, 20 times since, since that time. And every time that I, I book a flight, I've got to get a, I got to pick my seat. <laughs> you got to be more towards the front. I'm not wearing a sweater, 
I'm wearing shorts. I'm wearing sandals. I don't care if it's 10 below. I'm wearing a t-shirt. I'm going to find that aisle seat. I'm going to sit up toward the front of the plane. Why do I do that? Because when we, when we tell ourselves a certain story and it sets in as a narrative, the only things we see are things that reinforce that story. Even though I've been on a dozen flights since and nothing has, terrible has happened like that, uh, every, everything I see reinforces that story. And once those narratives are in place in our lives, it's hard to see anything that might contradict the story we tell ourselves because the story we tell ourselves becomes our narrative. Does that make sense? And, and that's why Jesus often told his disciples, he would say, you've heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said this, but I tell you this. What's he doing? He's correcting their narrative, right? The way they see God, the way they, they see the world, the way they see themselves and, and others. He's correcting their narrative. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to investigate three common stories that we tell ourselves that are false narratives. And these three common stories, um, I think we've all experienced in, in, on some level. And what we're going to do is, is look at these false narratives, and then we're going to stack them together and look at them, and we're going to measure them up against a better story that the Scriptures tell us. And these three false narratives cannot, not only can they run our lives if we allow them to, but they, they can... They can take away the life that God wants us to live. And so here's these three common false narratives we're going to investigate today. All of these three false narratives, by the way, have to do with our identity. And here they are. I am what I do. I am what I have. And I am what others say about me. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what others say about me. Now, before I go any further, I need to to qualify some stuff. I, I, I want to let you know that it's entirely possible to celebrate achievements, accomplishments, to be honored for things that you've done and things you've accomplished and who you are without wrapping up your identity in them, right? This week, I got to attend a promotion ceremony for my friend, Matt Lehman, who's becoming commander at the Air National Guard base. And I went to that ceremony and it was a wonderful celebration. And it honored like all the things the previous commander had done and all the things that Matt had done to, to get this promotion. And one of the things that made it so special was the humility that was on display. Because my friend Matt, even though he's very, very good at what he does, he's very good at his job, he doesn't wrap up his identity with it. Right? There's a difference. You can be honored and celebrate accomplishments and achievements, but you can also... Put your identity in what you do, right? What you have, what other people say about you. Because one of, one of the strong undercurrents of our culture is this idea that value, our value and our worth and our identity come from what we can produce, right? What we do. I was having a conversation with my oldest son, Jared, a few weeks ago, he lives in Boston. He's doing corporate finance. And, and, he, and we were talking about how so many people spend money they don't have to buy things that they don't need to impress people they don't know. And he's like, what is with people? Like, people spending so much more money than what they have. And, and, and to what? To like impress people that like, they don't even know with things that stuff they don't need? Why is that? Well, it's because there's this 
undercurrent, there's this narrative that's functioning in the background of our lives, right? That we are what we do and what we have and what others say about us. That our our value, our worth, and identity come from these things. And God forbid in our society, if you're ever in a season of life where you're not appearing successful or impressive or productive, right? It's like the impardonable sin in our culture. When somebody asks you, what do you do? do?" And maybe you're in a season of life where you're just trying to figure that out. It's like the impardonable sin, like you have leprosy. Right? If you're not productive, if you're not like killing it. I remember one time um, when I first moved here in 2008 to start the church, I was working some part-time jobs just to, to pay bills. And it was just my family and two friends that, that moved here to start a church. And I wanted to get to know people and, and um, just, just live and get my kids in school. So I, was, I would go to my kids' sports events. And you know how it is. You're sitting on the bleachers and there are other parents there. And you have conversation, and inevitably the question comes up, what do you do? And whenever this question would come up, I would cringe. I would say, I'm a pastor. Oh, really? Yeah, you're, you're a pastor. Yeah, where's your church building? <laughs> well, we don't have a building. How many, how many people attend your church? It's just my family <laughs> right now <laughs> and two friends. <laughs> And immediately the conversation would become so awkward, right? And we don't like feeling unimpressive. I remember another time I was driving my son to a basketball game. He was 12 years old. And, and we had a couple of his friends who were also on the team in the back seat. And we were driving to the gym, and the friend's parents were going to meet us at the gym. And at that point, I was, I was working, one of my part-time jobs was working at a bank. I was making $10 an hour, just crushing it. <laughs> And, and, and Jared, my son, turns to his two friends and goes, you don't believe, you don't believe this. My dad makes $80 in a day. $80 to a 12-year-old is like a lot of money, right? And they're like, no way. And I'm just chuckling. It's a dad. I'm just chuckling, thinking this is funny. Like, they think that's a lot of money. And, and we got to the gym, and as we walked into the lobby, this full of people, because they're waiting to get into the gym for the next game, and these two friends of Jared run up to their parents, and they yell, this room full of people, in front of all these, like, these are well-to-do Willistonites. And, and I, I'm in Williston too, right? So, and, 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 the, and I can say that. There's a, there's a few, and they run up to say, Dad, Mom, you're never going to believe this. Jared's dad makes $80 in a day. And they all, like, stop and look at me like, oh, my. And I just want to die. I just, I don't want to explain, like, no, I wasn't bragging to your kids. That's not even, I don't even... But I just couldn't. I was just like, there, I was stuck there. We don't like feeling unimpressive, do we? In fact, we, we go to great lengths to try to hide our inadequacy from others because we're afraid of rejection, right? And, but here's the thing. Hiding doesn't do us any favors either because to really connect relationally, we have to allow ourselves to be seen, right? My friend J.R. Briggs sketches it out this way. We've got a slide for you. When we tell ourselves the story that I am what I do, I am what I have, I am what others say about me, it throws us into a vicious spiral, a vicious cycle of failure, right, feeling that way, of rejection and shame. This whole idea of like, I'm not good enough, so I have to appear that I'm good enough. I have to become impressive enough to feel good enough, or to at least appear good enough, even if I don't feel good enough. 
But here's how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, intercepts and changes this narrative. It changes the story. Uh, I have another slide for you. The message of the gospel is this. You don't have to be good enough because Jesus is. See how freeing that is? See, the story that the scriptures tell us is when we recognize our inadequacy, when we recognize our failure, when we recognize our sin, we can yield to God and repent, right? We can, we can trust in what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, and instead of inadequacy and failure and sin leading us to rejection and shame, it leads us to acceptance and forgiveness and honor. And our story changes. It, our story no longer becomes, I am what I do, I am what I have, I am what others say about me, and it becomes this, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. It becomes, I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights in. It becomes, I am part of his unshakable kingdom. Let's look at some scriptures together. First one we'll look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. It says this, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 through 7, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in my insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. See, the story the scriptures tell us is that when we yield to God and we choose to identify with Christ, we can break free from the false narratives of I am what I do, I am what I have, and I am what others say about me. We recognize that, that those things don't, I, I, aren't our identity, that our identity is, is based on something much more sturdy. That's Christ in us, right? The hope of glory. And that means this, that once we identify with Christ, once our identity becomes in him, that we have, we have nothing more to hide, nothing more to lose, and nothing more to prove. We have nothing more to hide because Jesus forgives us. We have nothing more to lose because 
We've already taken up our cross and we're following him. Everything that we have is a gift. Do you know that when you, when you, when you get to the place where you realize that everything you have is a gift from God, you have nothing to lose? If you don't get to that place, you just try to hold on to everything because you have everything to lose. Nothing more to prove because Jesus paid it all. Which I find so freeing. Now you might be thinking as I'm talking here that, Adam, I've yielded to God. I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. I know that Christ dwells in me, that he delights in me. I know that I'm part of his unshakable kingdom. But I still wrestle with these three false narratives from time to time. What do I do about that? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I want to submit to you one practical way to resist these false narratives, these three specifically. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what others say about me. And that's this, being with Jesus in Sabbath. And you're going to say, what's Sabbath? Sabbath is the one day each week where we resist productivity. It's intentional, where you, where you resist it. And how many know in our time that we live in, you have to resist productivity, right? Because we live in this fast-paced, productivity-driven world where if you're not productive, something is off with you, right? Because we have this undercurrent flowing in our life is a narrative. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what others say. I've got to be productive. Sabbath is countercultural in that it resists productivity. It reminds us that, that we're more than what we do, that we're more than what we have, that we're more than what others say about us. And being with Jesus in Sabbath flips these three narratives on their head. Because when we Sabbath, it's a, day, it's a time that's set aside for delighting in what God has already done for us and what he's already given us and what he's already said about us. You see how it flips them all upside down? Because the one narrative, the stack of narratives says, I am what I do, I am what I have, I am what others say about me. What Sabbath does is we resist that productivity and we say, no, I'm going to... To, to, to tell myself this story, a better story, the story Scripture tells, that God has already done everything for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delight in what God has done for me. I'm going to delight in what God has already said about me. I'm going to delight in what God's already given me. That's the difference. And, and Sabbath invites us to do four things. There, there are four movements to Sabbath, and, and here they are. Stop rest, worship, and delight. Now, the first two, we kind of partly get in our culture, right? We know how to stop and rest. We, we call it the weekend. Everybody's working for the weekend, right? We, we know that, like it's Friday. We got the weekend. This is when we stop. This is when we rest, or we at least recreate, right? We find some fun things to do. We might be more tired when we're done and when Monday comes, but we've at least recreated, <laughs> So we, we kind of understand stop and rest a little bit, but you haven't really fully Sabbathed until you've had all four movements. See, Sabbath is not just stopping and resting and just catching our breath and just doing some fun things and being a little bit lazy and taking a nap. Those are wonderful things to do during Sabbath. But, but Sabbath is bigger than that. There's four parts of that. We have to stop. We have to rest. We have to worship. Right? We have to delight in God and his goodness and his blessings that he's given. And, and these four things together help us remember this. 
Our identity is not in what we produce. It's not in what we do. It's not in what others say about us. It's not in what we have. It's in Christ. And these four things together help us remember that, that our value and worth don't come from these false narratives. You know, my son Joshua is a reminder to me of how badly I need Sabbath and how badly I need to be with Jesus in Sabbath. Um, my son Josh is autistic. He has special needs. He, he turns 18 in just a few weeks here. We're going to have his graduation party. He's going to turn 18 all in the same month. Um, but Josh can't put his socks on. He can't tie his shoes. He can't read or write. He can't drive a car. Uh, most of the things that we could do when we were 18, he can't do. He, he doesn't have a, a ton of talents he can boast about. Other than his good fart jokes, he has really good <laughs> fart jokes for some reason. But Josh has the most amazing gift of silliness and laughter and joy. When that kid finds something funny, there is this guttural laugh. He flaps his hands, and he just laughs and shakes his head and laughs and laughs. And when he does that, it's like he's giving you a gift. And he knows something that you and I don't know, and that's this. His identity is not wrapped up in what he can do. What do people say about him? The things that he has. He could care less about those things. He's oblivious to them. You should see what he wears to school. He doesn't care what anyone thinks about him. <laughs> he, he, he doesn't have like all this stuff. He can't do a lot of the things you and I can do. But his identity isn't wrapped up in any of those things. He knows that his value and his worth don't come from those things. And there's times when I look at him, and, and I'm reminded of how I need to be like that. That, that I need to get to a place where I, I'm not wrapping up who, my identity in, in things I can do, in, in what people say about me, in, in things that I have. Right? And that's why I need to be with Jesus in Sabbath, to remind me that my identity doesn't come from what I produce, and, and that the true gifts that I have to offer are probably beneath my talents and abilities. They're hidden. Right? Like, like my son Josh, he doesn't have tons of talents and abilities, but he has gifts. And, and, there, and a lot of times with you and I, that we do have abilities and talents, the gifts are hidden. We don't even know they're there because we're so focused on the abilities and what we do because that's where we get our identity from. Right? And, and I also... When, when I think of my son Josh, I recognize that my heavenly father doesn't view my worth and value based on what I can do. Just like I don't look at my son and say, well, you, you, you only have value and worth based on what you can do and things you have and what others are saying about you. No, right? I love my son because he belongs to me. He's mine. See, God loves you. Your value, worth, and identity is because you're his. You belong to him. You don't have to, to, to prove. You have nothing to prove, nothing to, to, to lose, nothing to hide when your identity is in Christ, when you've yielded to God, right? And maybe when I see my son Josh and, and remind myself how badly I need Sabbath, um, maybe we all need those reminders. That, yeah, we live in this fast-paced productivity driven world, and it's hard to stop, rest, worship, delight, 
And you might even be thinking to yourself, I can't do Sabbath because I can't take a whole day. Right? You might be thinking to yourself, Adam, that sounds great, but I have kids, little kids to take care of, or I'm a single parent, or I've got two jobs that I'm juggling, and I've got all these demands on me from family and friends and neighbors, and I'm in all these clubs, and I've, I sit on these boards, and I have all these. You're right, I don't know. I don't know what rhythms you have in your life. I don't know how busy you are or your circumstances. But I do know this, that if you want to resist these three false narratives that often run in the background of our lives and can really ruin our lives. Being with Jesus in Sabbath is a great way to resist. And maybe, maybe you can't take a whole day, but maybe you can take a few hours each week. Maybe you can Sabbath with your kids. Right? Stop, rest, worship, delight. I, I don't know. That's something between you and a conversation between you and God and maybe some friends to have. Um, but maybe you can't take a whole day. Maybe it's just a, an afternoon. Maybe it's going to church on Sunday and then taking, carving out a few extra hours on top of that to delight in God and his goodness and his blessings and to stop and rest and worship. I, I, I know this, that being with Jesus in Sabbath is a great way to tell yourself a better story, to tell yourself the story that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus, that my value and worth doesn't come from what I can produce from what others say about me, from what things I have in my life. And that's a good enough reason to practice Sabbath and being with Jesus in Sabbath. Can I pray for us? All right, let's pray. I'll invite the band up too to lead us in a song after this. Why don't we stand and we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we confess that each one of us has a lot of resisting to do. Because even though we've trusted in Jesus as, a, as our Lord and Savior, even though we've yielded to God and repented and, and trusted in, in what Jesus accomplished for us in the cross and that we know that he dwells in us and delights in us and we're part of his kingdom, Lord, there's still these narratives that are humming and buzzing in the background of our lives. It's just part of the world we live in. And Lord, we... We don't want to live there. We don't want our identity to be wrapped up in what we do and things that we have and what others are saying about us. We want our identity to be in Christ. We want to be your kids, God, that just delight in being your kids and not have to feel the, the burdens and the false weight and pressures that Society tries to, to, to push on us. Lord, I pray for all my friends. Maybe they're in a, a season right now where they're, they're, they're not being productive and they're trying to figure things out. Would you just let them know it's okay? They are more than what they do. Lord, I pray on the other end of the spectrum for all my friends who are running as fast as they can because their job's demanding it, their, their life is demanding it. Maybe they have other demands that are just pulling on them and they feel worn out trying to, to fix and produce and accumulate things and um, to make everyone happy. Lord, would you also speak a word to them that they are more than what they do? And Lord, we pray for each, each one of us here as we stop this morning, as we rest, as we worship you, 
So we delight in all the gifts that you've given us. Delight in, even as we go to the picnic, and delight in this beautiful creation of yours. And delight in fine food and conversation and connection. Lord, we pray that that, that would feed our souls. That we would become more like Jesus through it. Lord, we can't do this, any of this on our own. So we ask you to help us. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's sing. You're listening to the official podcast of Church of the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church of the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.